Welcome to the Covenant Women Podcast with Dr. Adonica Howard-Brown, your on-demand source for Holy Ghost-filled preaching and teaching. You bring blessing everywhere you go. You bring freedom. You bring liberty. Out of your inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Be refreshed, encouraged, and strengthened as you hear the Word today. Twenty to twenty-three, my son, give attention to my words, incline my ear to your sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those that find them, and health to all their flesh. You, you notice something? It says your ear, your eyes, and your heart. If you keep it in your ear, your eyes, it'll be in your heart. So, with good things and with bad things, if you're feeding, if you're looking at bad things with your eyes, you all know what I'm talking about. Amen. The internet's been particularly good for promoting good things. It's been good for promoting bad things. And there's a lot of people, a lot of people that have made a choice to put bad things in front of their eyes on the internet and on, you know, whatever they watch, whatever they look at. So don't think that you can just watch any movie or, you know, anything that's negative and evil and think that it's not going to affect your heart or your attitude. It is. You know, I I know, you know, boys are different from girls. Boys, a lot of times, they're more aggressive and whatever, so they'll watch, they like a lot of violent stuff, or there's people that love horror. That that I've never understood. I I guess I didn't grow up with Halloween, so I didn't grow up with spooks and ghosts and all that garbage from a little child. And I don't think it's productive to introduce fear into your kid's life or your own. Amen. Because fear, the devil uses fear to control people. Fear, all negative emotions, as I said, are based out of fear. Why introduce more fear to your life? Why are you proving you macho? I'm going to go watch this big, evil, aggressive movie or this horror movie because I'm so tough. Oh, I know it's just cameras and lights and action. Listen, you know what? That stuff's still coming in your eyes. It's getting in your heart. If you're going to go wandering around on the internet and you're going to be watching pornography, that stuff's going to get into your heart. It's going to corrupt your life and it will destroy you. I promise. I promise you that. So that's something. If you have an issue, you, you get with God to sort it out. Amen. You get a friend, you get a counselor, you get a, someone who stand with you and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you, but you get free of that stuff because if it's in your eyes, it's in your heart. And then it says your ears. Don't let them depart you know, from your eyes, keep them in the midst of your heart. Let's see. Incline your ear. Whatever's coming in your ears, that's feeding you. That's, you know, these people, be careful who you give your ear to. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful whose counsel you look up to. Be careful who you, who you, you know, the important people in your life. Be careful what they're saying to you. Be careful who you choose to allow to put garbage in your ear. You know, that's the thing with music that we have to be so careful of. You have to understand, music opens up your brain to receive the words. Did you know that? That's, what hap- that's what's happening with music. Music opens up your brain to receive the words into your heart. So something that's spoken will never get into you as solidly and as much as something sung to you. How many of you remember the words to songs that you learned when you were a kid? But you probably don't remember what you even learned in school, what your teacher taught you. Maybe one or two things. But you can remember all the songs, you know. So 
there's something about music that, that gives an entrance in your heart. Whatever you're listening to, if the, I don't care if it's nice music, get the instrumental version. But the, if the words are coming in to your ears, they are in your heart and they are influencing you. So guard yourself. Now you can say, ah, oh, I don't believe that. Fine, whatever. Do whatever you want to do. You know, you, I'm not responsible for you. I'm just responsible to you today, and so I'm telling you this. And if you don't want to receive it, no problem. But if you're going to receive it, and you know, a lot of people want to be cool. They're so busy trying to be cool that they're throwing their life down the toilet to impress who? Some person you're not even going to know in 10 years. You're not even going to remember their name in 10 years. And they don't stand with you before the throne of God to give an account for your life. You know, it doesn't matter what people think. Be uncool. So what? At least you'll be able to cross that finishing line and hear Jesus say, well done. Because it's only what he thinks of us that matters. Amen. So sometimes it's cool to be uncool. For they are life to those that find them and health to their flesh. God's word is, is life and health. Positive, godly, faith-filled, love-filled words are life and health to us. 20, verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. The issues of life, that reference is not only to the arteries which carry the blood to all the parts of your body, but also to the evil and good deeds that come out of your heart or the center of you. So it, it, just like your heart pumps blood all through your body that keeps you alive, if you didn't have your heart, you know, you, you can do without some of your other stuff. I mean, did you know you can go without kidneys and you can get dialysis, but, but you cannot do without your heart. You need a heart. You've got to have something pumping that blood through you. And... And the Bible says that the life is in the blood. That's in Genesis um, 9 and verse 4. It says that the life is in the blood. So there are doctors that can look at your blood and tell you everything about you. They can tell you what you're eating and the, and the state of your body just from your blood. Did you know that? So your, your, your blood is your life. And just as your heart pumps blood all through your body and the condition of your heart and how strong your heart is to pump is going to affect your health. The quality of the blood coming, that's pumping through your heart, that's going to affect your health. The same way that your heart, heart, your, 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 who you are, you are responsible to, to protect that because out of its spring, all the issues of your life, everything in your life is affected by your heart and your heart attitude the same way as everything in your body is affected by this blood pumping heart that you have on the inside. And keep, let's talk about keep. Keep in this context means to guard or protect, to maintain or support, to take care of, to tend, to hold or retain in one's possession, to hold as one's own. That's very important. It's yours. It's your possession. It's your heart. You protect it. You watch over it. You guard it. You don't allow anybody else to influence it. Not in, not in a negative way anyway. To cause to continue in a given position, state, or course, or action. To maintain in a condition or order as by care and labor. So you're noticing here that there's some work involved to keeping your heart. To maintain in a usable condition, to preserve, to hold in custody or under guard, to have the care, charge, 
or custody of. Now you can go and you know, look up in a dictionary and look up the meaning if you want, if you can't write fast enough with, with all of this, but it's, this is all in the dictionary. And I just took the ones that, that pertain particularly to keep in this context. Um, to have the charge, care, and custody of, to withhold from use, to reserve or save, to hold back or restrain, to maintain control of or regulate, to continue to follow, and to maintain in active existence. So, you know, when the Bible talks about your heart being like a garden, that's exactly when you're keeping your heart. It's like you keep a garden. You have to work. You have to keep the weeds out. You have to, you know, plant the good stuff. You've got to keep the ground soft. You've got to water it. Same with your heart. And diligence, diligence means constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. So constant, earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. Persistent exertion of body or mind. Earnest and persistent application to an undertaking, a steady effort, attentive care, heedfulness. So we need to attentively put some work into guarding our heart. So this is not just something you just go along and, it's le- and you leave it alone and you don't worry about it and you just muddle along, da 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 da. No, you've got to give some attention to your heart. You've got to put some effort into it. You've got to protect and preserve it. You've got to be attentive and heedful over your own heart. Let's go to Mark uh, 7. From verse 18 to 23. And we're going to cover this again later on. But he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because he does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. He said, what comes out of a man, that's what defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts and adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So the most important things in our life, it's not so much what you put into your mouth that's going to, as far as, well, we're going to read it in context later, but it's, it's not just about the things that, that, that you're doing, it's about the attitude of your heart. It's what comes from the inside. Because a lot of people look like they're doing the right things, but they're doing it with the wrong motive. And you know, anything you do with the wrong motive is wood, hay, and stubble. So might as well not bother. You are the keeper of your heart, the only keeper. You have the ability and the right to choose right or wrong. You are responsible and accountable for your choices. Now, when you keep your heart from evil, it's an easy matter to obey the other commands of this passage. If we can go back to Proverbs chapter 4 and read verse 24 through 27... When, see, when you first got your heart in line, then it's not, easy, it's not hard to do these things. Uh, Proverbs 4.24, Put away from you false and dishonest speech and willful and contrary talk put far from you. Let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose and let your gaze be straight before you. Consider well the path of your feet and let all your ways be established and ordered aright. 
Turn not aside to the right hand or the left. Remove your foot from evil. So it won't be so hard to say the right things, to do the right things, to be kind, to be loving, to, to be godly. It won't be hard to, to do it where people can see it if it's already in your heart. Amen. So we're going to give an account to God. Psalm 10 and verse 13. Why does the wicked man condemn, spurn, and renounce God? Why has he thought in his heart, you will not call to account? Matthew 16 and verse 27. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory, majesty, and splendor of his Father with the angels, and then he will render account and reward every man in accordance for what he has done. Now we're going to run through a few more scriptures on giving an account. But you will give an account. You will give an, an account for, to God for your life. You will give account for your thoughts. You will give account for your attitude. You will give an account for your words. The Bible says you'll be judged for every idle word. That means every non-productive, non-life-giving word. Every negative, evil, stupid, thoughtless, even if it was funny, word that came out of your mouth. So every dumb thing that came out of your mouth, you're going to be judged for. So your thoughts, your attitude, your words, and your deeds, all of these will be judged. And we will, of course, not be able to blame anyone else but ourselves. And everyone will give an account to God. As I said yesterday, even those people who don't believe in God, you can call yourself an atheist all day long and say God doesn't exist. You're still going to give an account. You can, you can say, well, I'm, I believe this and I believe that and I'm a this and I'm a this and I'm that religion and that religion and my God's name is, but you're still going to give an account to the Most High God. You get a, you're going to give an account to Jesus Christ. Romans 9, 27 and 28 and Isaiah calls out solemnly and cries aloud over Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only the remnant shall be saved. For the Lord will execute his justice, will execute his sentence upon the earth. He will conclude and close his account with men completely and without delay, rigorously cutting it short in his justice. Romans 14, 12. Romans 14, 12. And so each of us shall give an account of himself. Give an answer in reference to judgment to God. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, should keep account of and treat us according to our sins, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, just what man needs, that you may be reverently feared and worshipped. Thank God we don't have to face judgment with the world. Thank God that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that all of those sins that we would have had to give an account for, maybe we take a minute and maybe you think about your life and think about all the stuff that you've done. And imagine if you had to stand before God and give an account for all those things. Could you? Listen. Nobody's going to shake their fist in God's face. They might do it here, down here on the earth. But when they stand before God, they're just, they're just going to fall to their face. 
and they won't be able to say a thing. God won't even have to say anything, but his very presence will expose everything that they are. I am so grateful. That just hit me a few weeks ago. I just thought about it. I thought, I am so thankful that I don't have to stand in front of him and explain why I messed up all the things in my life I've messed up. I am so grateful that because I've asked him to forgive those things, that I repented and I asked him to forgive me, that I'm washed clean. And when I stand in front of him, he doesn't stand there with accusation in his eyes. But that I feel, I feel loved and welcome and accepted in the king's presence. You know what? Any one of us could die just like that, any time. We would all love to live to be 90-something or 100 and something, whatever your goal is, and, and live a good long life and be blessed and accomplish our dreams and see our grandkids and do everything that we want to do. But we need to live our life like at any moment that we need to give an account. We can't push it off and wait because maybe you dive something slowly and you know you're going. Maybe you go so fast you didn't even know what's going to happen. We always have to be ready to give that account to God. We always keep our heart as right as we can on a daily basis. And it's not a case of being all paranoid about it and every day, oh God, if I've done anything, please forgive me. It's not about being in fear. But it's about, that's why when we have communion, it's a good time to go, okay, Lord, if there's anything in my life, please forgive me, forgive me of the things I've done because you know about the stuff you've done. You know you messed up. And maybe there's some stuff you, you messed up and you didn't actually realize it. Or there's something you should have done that you didn't do that became a sin to you because you were disobedient. Whatever. Say, Lord, forgive me. If he shows you something, repent of that specific thing because the Holy Spirit will show you. And, and deal with it and let it go at that point. And then say, Holy Spirit, help me now to be better. Help me now to not repeat that. Help me now to, to do good. And so, you know, taking communion is a good time. Or just... I mean, do a heart check on a regular basis. Judge yourself. Be, be slow to judge other people. Don't judge other people. Keep, work on, and I know it's, it's hard because us humans, we love gossip. We love stuff about other people. It makes us feel better about our crappy life. Amen. <laughs> I mean, they're a bigger mess than me. So, you know what? I mean, like you can have two girls and they all both sleeping around, but the friend sleeps with twice as many Girls as you do, so she's a slut and you're not. Amen. We have a tendency to measure ourselves against someone else and we're not as bad as them, so we must be okay. That's what we like to judge other people. We like the gossip. We like the, the I mean, listen, the, the, the magazines with all the gossip and the, the trash and the nasty stuff about people, whether it's real or imagined, sells way more than the regular news. Nobody wants the regular boring news. They want all the gossip on everybody's life, all the dirt on everybody's life. That's human nature. But listen, we are born again in the image of God. So we need to get free of that. We need to get free of poking our nose in other people's lives and rejoicing when other people fail. We need to, we need to come to the place where we rejoice when people succeed. But the way the world is, they rejoice when someone else fails and they are jealous and envious when someone succeeds. No, we need to be the opposite. 
We are the opposite of the world. We all rejoice. We rejoice when someone succeeds. We rejoice when they're blessed. We, re- we praise God with them. Even if we haven't had our breakthrough, we praise God with them. Because my turn's next. I know God took care of them. He's going to take care of me. And then, I mean, I've got to the place when I hear bad stuff about people, I don't believe it until it's absolutely proven to me. And even then, I'm very, I try to be very careful of how I approach it because the Bible says if we judge men all about other people, that we're going to fall into the same thing. So we have to protect our heart. But we, we can judge ourselves. By all means, you can judge yourself. By all means, you can look in your own heart and your own attitude and go, whoa, honey, that, that needs help. I need help over here. I, I need some fixing. I need God to, to fix this. So we judge ourselves not anybody else, but thank God we can take our sin to Jesus and say, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you know what? Repentance is not just, I'm sorry, Lord. And then we go on like we were. I mean, repentance means godly sorrow. So it means really being sorry for what we did. You know, God really, he knew what you did when you did it. So you're not coming like telling him something he doesn't know, but you need to tell him for your benefit. You telling him so he knows you know. And you can say, well, God knows my heart. So what? You still need to do it. God knew that Abraham was prepared to sacrifice Isaac, but Abraham still had to do it. He still had to be, he was there with a knife and the angel said, stop. He was tested and he was, it was proven what's in his heart. The Bible talks about that over and over. The testing is what, is what proves what's in your heart. So you know what? Maybe a situation happened and you got mad and angry and you reacted and you thought it was that person. Meantime, it was a test. And you failed. Amen. So God will test and to prove what's in our heart. And so we need to, when we come to God to repent, we need to say, Lord, this is what I did. I am so, oh, it was, I'm sorry, this is what I did. I acknowledge it as sin. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Listen, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad it is. When you genuinely repent and you are genuinely sorry and you genuinely ask God to forgive you, He washes you clean. And you don't have to come back again to him with that same thing. You are free. And a lot of us have a hard time forgiving ourselves. But you have to accept that if you are truly sorry that God has forgiven you, and then what, what God's heart's desire is for you is to walk free from the guilt. Once you come and you give it to God and you've truly repented, you need to walk free from the guilt of that thing. Because if you have any guilt in your life, that's why um, many times people have sin in their life and they keep it covered, thinking it's hidden. But the, the more you try and cover it, and the more you try and hide it, the more it has a hold of you. How many know what I'm talking about? See, the power of sin is in its secrecy. But when you expose that thing, it's exposed and it loses its strength. You've got to expose sin to the air. You've got to expose sin to the light of God. That's why the Bible talks about confessing our faults to one another. You know what? It's really hard to go back and do something when you've already told your brother your faults and and your your weakness. And you go, oh, they know about that and they know I'm working on that area. I better not go do that again. Well, I'm going to have to go back and tell them, hey, I messed up. 
That's why it's good to have a buddy. It's good to have someone, that, that, a friend that you can trust. It's not going to go around and talk and gossip about you and tell everything. You know what? We, we need to be faithful friends. If we have some friends that, friends, people need to be able to feel like they can come to you and confess stuff and you're not going to go all over and tell everybody your business. That's the reason that a lot of people in the body of Christ never get free from sin is because they don't have anybody to go to, to share with it. It's not going to just expose them and gossip about them and tell the whole world. Amen. Love covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean that love accepts it. No, it's fine. You can be a sinner and I love you. No. But love will wash it away. And so it's, it's good to, you know, I mean, I, I know some, some people that have had a problem with pornography and they told people, I had a problem. And they, made it, they make it public and they, they tell everybody and they keep it public so that they never fall back into that because they know everybody knows that about them. And now that it's exposed, it like loses its power to control them and suck them back into that. But guilt, anything that you feel guilty over is going to end up suck, <clears throat> sucking you back. And that's why it's so important to really, you know, get with God till you know that you're forgiven and then walk free of that. And when the devil tries to put their guilt back on you, say no. Say no. Yes, I messed up. You know, because don't say when the devil tries to put, you know, guilt and condemnation back on you, don't go, well, well, yeah, I did it, but she and he, and I did it because of this, and you make excuses. If you've made excuses, you haven't repented. When that thing comes back or someone says, oh, I heard you, what do we say? Yeah, I did. I'm, I'm just human. I'm a big mess. I, I'm messed up. But you know what? God forgave me, and I'm going on with him, and I'm not going to make that same mistake again. So we need to have, we need to have some humility some of, this, some of the dumb stuff we've done hasn't been all bad. It keeps us humble. We remember we're not perfect. Amen. So let the dumb stuff in your life keep you humble. <laughs> don't, but don't let it stop you from going on in God. Amen. God wants us free from guilt. He wants us, he wants us to have a, a righteousness consciousness and know that we are pure and holy before Him. Romans 4, 3 through, three through 8 for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God was accredited as given to his account as righteousness. Um, and then let's, let's run down verse 7. Blessed, happy, and to be envied are those whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered up and completely buried. Be- blessed and happy and to be envied is the person whose sin the Lord will take no account or reckon it against him. David all the time talked about how blessed, it, how, what a, how wonderful it is to be forgiven. How awesome it is to be forgiven. David, of all people, <laughs> knew about God's forgiveness. Romans 4, 23 through 25. Romans 4, 23 to 25. But the words that was credited to him were written not for his sake alone. Talking about Abraham, they were written for, to our, for our sakes as well. Talks about uh, righteousness given by Jesus, who was betrayed in verse 25. Who... Um, and put to death because of our misdeeds and raised to secure our justification and our acquittal, making our account balance and absolving us from all guilt before God. We should never take for granted what the blood of Jesus has done for us. Always appreciate that we're forgiven. Listen, the worst sinner is a backslidden Christian. The worst one. Because, first of all, they know it's the grace of God. You know, they know by grace. They know it's not a works program. So they're not trying to be good. They know it's only by grace. So they're almost worse than the sinner who's actually trying to be good to actually score points with God. Um, and then they're tormented because their conscience is tormenting them. They're tormented because the devil is having a full go on at them. So they go full out. I mean, how many of you have known a backslidden Christian? They're awful. 
man. And there's some people in pulpits that are backslidden. So it's not all the people that are out there, you know, in the bar and obviously doing it, but there's a lot of people that are still up there preaching and their life's in the toilet. They're backs and they, they, they have no fear of God. It's like a demon's got a hold of their life. And that's why I'm saying to you, it's so important. You, you guys, some of you have already been involved in ministry. Some of you are older. Some of you are younger here. Most of you are just beginning your life. And you have to understand that, that the, you can't think, well, the rules don't apply to me. Oh, that's someone else and I'm fine. No. There's many people who are overconfident and thought, well, I'm fine and that's never going to happen to me. Never say Never. I'm not asking you to live your life in fear, but I'm asking you to respect your adversary in that you know what his wiles are. You know what his temptations are. If there's, a, if there's been a weakness in your life, he's going to come after that weakness. Maybe you got saved and God turned that around for you, but there's going to come a moment in your life way down the road when he's going to come back with that thing because he knows it was once your weakness he's going to try it again and if you've come to that place where you're overconfident in your own ability to resist sin and you've opened the door through a bad attitude the devil can come once again back in and reintroduce that temptation and get you to fail and there's so many ministers that have blown out so many ministers they built this huge organization and lost their marriage lost their families, lost their reputation. What good does it do? What good does it do? Slow, steady, stay the course. Keep your heart right. Keep your heart pure. Keep your heart humble. Constant heart checks. Allowing the Word of God to speak into your life. Allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you. Being humble enough to repent and apologize. Not being so worried. And that's the thing in America that I see that's particularly bad, but it's like image is everything. It's like as long as the image is great, it doesn't matter what's behind it. I mean, have you seen, have you visited any of the, like Disney and the, the Hollywood theaters, the Hollywood stuff, and you see on the outside, it looks like this amazing city and you go back behind it or a big canyon and you go back behind it and it's fiberglass and metal and wood and paint. Don't let your life be like a Hollywood set that looks so perfect and there's absolutely nothing behind it. Because you can only hold yourself up so long. If, if the Lord doesn't build the house, they labor in vain. So, it, you know, as, my, as Pastor Roger says, it's not about having a ministry, it's about ministering. When Paul started out, he didn't think about having a big ministry or John or Peter or any of them. They just thought about, on a daily basis, obeying the Holy Spirit and meeting people's needs. That's all Jesus did. On a daily basis, he just met the need of the person that was in front of him. That's your job. So if it's one person or 5,000 or 50,000, your job that day is to touch that life that's in front of you. Amen. 1 Peter 4, verse 1 through 6. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. So since Christ suffered in the flesh for us and for you, Arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose, patiently to suffer rather than fail to, to please God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done with intentional sin, has stopped pleasing himself and the world and pleases God, so that he can, live, he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life living by his human appetites and desires, but he lives for what God wills. For the time 
that is past already suffices for doing what the Gentiles like to do, living as you have done in shameless, insolent wantonness, lustful desires, drunkenness, reveling, drinking bouts, and abominable lawless idolatries. They are astonished and think it very queer that you do not now run hand in hand with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they abuse you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge and pass sentence on the living and the dead. For this is why the good news, the gospel, was preached in their lifetime, even to the dead, that though judged in fleshly bodies as men are, they might live in the spirit as God does. So it's painful to crucify the flesh it's not easy to put your flesh under. It's not easy to cut off all the old stuff from your life. It's not easy to cut off some of the old, you know, relationships. I mean, if, if your friends are not going to serve God with you, you know, don't go to hell with them. Amen. I mean, there's, so, there's some relationships that you just can't allow in your life to influence you. And that doesn't mean you don't pray for them or minister to them. You know, it's whatever they allow you. If they allow you to still be there and be you and great, then you have an opportunity to influence them, to win them for Jesus. But if, if they're going to, um, as it says here, that, that, they, that your, um, your friends think, are very astonished and think it's very queer, very strange, that you do not now run hand in hand with them in the same excesses of dissipation. How many of you, when you got saved, your friends thought you were a little weird? Like, what happened to you? How come you're not running with us and doing this with us and getting drunk with us and going, going crazy and doing all of these things? I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, you're going to have persecution from people when you get born again. You're going to have persecution when you make a stand for Jesus. You just might as well accept that. Amen. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. So do not make any hasty or premature judgments before the time when the Lord comes again, for he will both bring to light the secret things that are now hidden in darkness and disclose and expose the secret aims and motives and purposes of, of hearts. Then man will receive his due commendation from God. God will expose and judge the very secret, hidden things, the aims, motives, and purposes of hearts. So what will be exposed before God is not just what you've done, but your heart and your motives. We need to seriously think about that because most of us have a tendency to, um, you know, just run our lives on what other people can see, and we don't pay much attention to, the, to our own garden and sorting that out. But what does it say? When we give an account to God, the very thing we're going to give an account for is our heart. The, everything you've tried to hide, every secret thing. So if you have secret things, secrets hidden, if you have sin, you need to expose it to the light of God. You need to expose it because otherwise, when you stand before Him, that is the thing that's going to be exposed for everyone to see. So realize and acknowledge that all secret things are going to be renounced, are, are going to be exposed. So 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, we have renounced disgraceful ways, secret thoughts, feelings, and desires, and underhandedness, the methods and arts that men hide through shame. We refuse to deal craftily, to practice trickery and cunning, or to adulterate or handle dishonestly the word of God. But we state the truth openly, clearly, and candidly, and we commend ourselves in the sight and presence of God to every man's conscience. So, 
If you're going to be a preacher of the gospel, you need to do it with open face and with open heart. When you preach the gospel, you don't use manipulation. You don't, I mean, that's why Pastor Roddy and I really can't stand watching Christian TV because so much of the stuff that's on there is just manipulation. And, you know, it's people, people are worried too much about what people think. And there are a lot of pastors, pastoring churches and making choices, leaving the Holy Ghost out of their church, deliberately leaving the Holy Ghost out so they can present this image so that they can have a lot of bums in the chairs. That's what it's all about. It's like packing the building out. If I just have a, an hour service or a 90-minute service and I leave the Holy Spirit out, definitely don't speak in tongues because that'll offend Mr. Big Bucks and Mrs. Successful over there. So I want them to come to my church. I'm going to put on this big image and this big show for them. And we're going to entertain them and we're going to talk about Jesus and maybe they'll get born again, you know, and we hope that they do. But, you know, a lot of these programs, like the, the main church that instituted the whole seeker-sensitive uh, seeker thing that had all the surveys and found out what people wanted in a church and gave them exactly that, they put another book out after all these years and said it didn't work. People don't go home and read their Bible. Duh. I mean, I, I don't know if how many people even read the Bible if they are filled with the Holy Ghost because people are, people are, you know, they don't care. They don't need to. They're filling their mind with everything else. Listen, we need a, we need a purpose. If nobody else does it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get in the Word. I'm going to fill my heart and my life with the Word of God. I'm going to allow God's Word to continue to shine in me because I can't see the darkness in my own life until the, the light of God shines in. I mean, that's what's happening when revival happens. It's All it is is in the move of God, the light of God begins to shine and the rats and the cockroaches start to run. I mean, you, you can't believe what's happened after we've laid hands on people. And it's not us. It's, it's the, the, the Holy Ghost exposed stuff. I mean, we had one guy that was going to marry a, a young lady two weeks before they got married. Pastor Rodney happened to minister him, lay hands on him, and he, like, the day before the wedding, broke off the wedding. Now, instead of, I'm, I'm glad they never got married because he was a jerk, he was a liar, and he, he represented himself one way to her, and really, that wasn't it. He would have made her life hell. Thank God she didn't actually marry him and then divorce him. That would have been worse. But thank God he, I mean, it broke her heart. It embarrassed her. Can you imagine the day before your wedding? And, of course, she's happily married now. God brought the right person along. But his rats and cockroaches started manifesting. And, of course, instead of him saying, I'm a jerk and I shouldn't be marrying you, you know, and I've, I haven't, I've lied to you, he said, I don't love you, I never have, which is normally the case. And went, G -g -g. Anyway, so, <laughs> and, um, I mean, we had, there was another couple. This, this guy had been cheating on his wife for five years. And she was in the ministry and he wasn't. Uh, well, he was just, uh, he didn't preach. She was the preacher. And um, Pastor Rodney laid hands on him. And like, willing or not, here we come. And it wasn't that he wanted to. Rodney, Pastor Rodney called him out, laid hands on him. And, and like within weeks, this whole thing came out that, that he'd had this affair for five years and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of people. Let, let me tell you, when we first had revival breakout in the meeting and, and the, the power of God, and everybody's laughing and crying and shaking and falling on the floor and getting stuck to the floor and can't speak in English. Initially, we thought, wow, with all this stuff going on, we're wondering if the sinners would like, feel a little freaked out and go running out the place. You know what? Our altar calls doubled, trebled, quadrupled. The altar calls were huger because the Holy Ghost was 
doing what he wanted to do and didn't matter what you did or what you said, the Holy Ghost was dealing with people with the exact particular issue that was theirs and they were hitting the altar. And you know who ran out? The preachers, the religious people, the people who had sin in their life and didn't want it exposed to the light of God. And so you know what happens then? Because these preachers, they don't want to come near it. There's stuff in their life that they don't want exposed. So they don't want to come near revival. So you know what they have to do? In order to excuse why they're not part of those meetings and receiving, they have to find something wrong with the guy who's running the revival. So they begin to criticize the guy that's running the revival to make an excuse for why they're not doing what they need to do and jumping in the move of God. But the light of God exposes hearts. So if you're going to pray for revival, you better be prepared to, for some things to get exposed and dealt with. And it's all good. It's all good. Great. If it gets exposed, you, you're going to get rid of it. The worst is people who sit in revival and keep hardening their heart and hardening their heart and hardening their heart because they refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. When you refuse the Holy Spirit, you harden your heart and harden, harden, harden your heart. And in the end, you're such a big mess. You, I mean... You're not, hearing, you're not hearing the Holy Spirit. You're not hearing anything. So we need to keep that soft heart. We need to allow the light of God. We need to be prepared to receive God's correction. We need to be, re- be, be prepared to receive His discipline because God only corrects those He loves. Why? To spare you on the day you have to give an account. Amen. We instruct our children, correct our children, spank their bottoms, not because we hate them, because we love them. Because we want them to succeed. Because we want them to respect authority. Because we want them to, to be productive members of society. Because we want to get invited out. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you have bratty kids, nobody wants you to come over for dinner. Or tea or nothing. <laughs> but when, you've got, when your kids are well-mannered, they, oh, we can invite them. Their kids will behave. Amen. You don't, do yourself a, you, you don't do your kid a favor if you don't help them put their flesh under. I mean, when my kids got old enough, I told them, you, you sort yourself out. If you don't, if you can't put your flesh under, I will. In fact, my parents spanked me, and my dad said, you'll be glad when you're grown up that, that, I, that we spanked you. And at the time, it was painful. And I was like, yeah, right. But in my heart, I knew he was right. And in fact, once I got born again and the Holy Spirit started showing me some of my bad attitudes, I wished my parents had spanked me a few more times. I think it would have been easier to get rid of that when I was seven than 17. Amen. It's harder when you're older. It's easier when you're little. (laughs) I knew my parents loved me. That's very important. Your kids have to know you love them. It's not just about beating. They have to know. Do you know that you have to say, let me throw this in, you have to say nine positive things to your spouse for every non-positive thing you say. Nine positive things to your spouse for every one little bit of help that you give them, like little, they might call it criticism, you're helping them. For your children, for your teenagers, I don't know what, I'm not quite sure what it is for little kids. Maybe it's the same, I don't know. But for teenagers, you have to say 17 positive things for every one negative. So if the only input you're giving to your kids is negative, 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 no wonder they don't listen to you, they tune you out, and they don't receive anything you have to say. But if you give them 
positive, positive. And positive isn't about, oh, you're so wonderful, you're so cute, you're so pretty. It's not about that. You don't praise, you encourage. You encourage. You encourage good behavior. You encourage good attitude. You encourage good deeds. You look for the things they do right, and you tell them. You know, you encourage. If they, if they helped you with the dishes without whining, you, you just tell them. You know, you encourage them because they had a good attitude, and they helped you, and you thank them. And, and then when you spank them, they know they deserved it. And God does the same with us. He, he wraps us in his love. That's what he would do to me. I mean, when, when, when I would get... When I first got saved and the Lord would touch me, normally in a worship service, you know, when people come to me and they say, well, I don't know how to receive from the Lord. I don't feel the anointing. I say, do you worship? No. Say, there's your problem. You've got to learn to lift your hands and worship. If you learn to lift your hands and worship, you can learn to receive. And so I'd be in worship and the Holy Spirit would come down and like wrap me in His presence. And you know what? I never felt judgment from Him, although I, my image of God was God with a big stick. I just felt His love. But at the same time, boy, he was cleaning me out. He was doing some correction. He was doing some discipline. But at the time, because he wrapped me in his love, I was like, okay, you could have that. I'll let that go. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was easy to get rid of it because I felt loved, because I felt accepted. And that's why it's so important with kids. And if anybody, if you want to know how to do it, go and ask Granny Dawn. She can tell you all about it. But you bring correction, you spank Repentance comes through the crying. You love them. You tell them they're forgiven. And you don't rehash that thing ever. 